Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. Come on in and make yourself extremely cosy. Myself and Andy Brassel are here. Andy, how the dickens are you? I'm so well, Marcus. How are you? Yeah, all the better for being in your presence, brother. Now, Andy, what? Um, well, before we start, Andy, the uh, the, the the Discord app has been uh, Discord app. The the mailbag thread on the Discord app has been awash full of uh, various comments, some uh, more interesting than others. But uh, we were intrigued by uh, DJ Chubby Bubble saying that he once played the French horn to try and impress a girl, and you said that this was your favourite brass instrument, Andy. Yeah, Did that, uh, um... warm your cockles. I was I was delighted to to hear that. I've heard of many ways that um, men have tried to impress girls. Playing mm. the French horn—that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I have in my mind sort of Jim and American Pie with the trombone. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Chubbs, if that that is <laughs> underrating your proficiency <laughs> on the French horn. Yeah. Um, but I, I I suspect I'm kind of ballpark there. Yeah, and I suspect that DJ Chubby Bubble went to town on an American pie as well. <laughs> Can you say that? Uh, <laughs> it's only a suspicion. You, you know. just did. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I would say alleged, but it's not been alleged against him. Um, but uh, no, I, I jest, of course. Uh, DJ Chubby Bubble would, wouldn't do such things. He would very much enjoy an apple pie with perhaps some ice cream, which uh, the two go hand in hand very, very nicely indeed. <laughs> So uh, let us move on to to the questions. Uh, but, but DJ Chubbubble, we always appreciate your, your comments and questions, as we do with everybody, of course, you beautiful bastards. Now, uh, let's begin with this one from uh, Dorhey, who says, um, is Lucien Favre the man for Dortmund? He seems to have been really inconsistent or at least created a team that falters when up against the challenge. Given the talent in this team, should he be under more pressure? With Sancho and Haaland potentially being sold next summer, would Dortmund consider making a change this season? Andy? He is under pressure to a certain degree. Um, Now, his job was discussed at length, um, certainly in the public, although the club denied they had talked about it internally uh, towards the end of last season. And I think if you look at some of the results post the defeat to Bayern in the Classica, which was both in terms of Dortmund and in terms of the Bundesliga in general, one of the most ill-timed defeats that you can imagine. Because, of course, at that point, the Bundesliga was the only major league that had come back post-pandemic, the only major European league that had come Mm. back post-pandemic. And so everyone's getting set for a a battle royale with the, the, the eyes of the world on the on the Champions League. You know, people are listening to live commentaries on UK radio and mm-hmm. then buy and do what they do and go there and win and just kill the title race stone dead. <laughs> Two matches back into the restart. Yeah, that was a shame, wasn't it? <laughs> so that that was unfortunate for um, the neutrals in general. I don't just mean the neutrals in, in Germany, but the, the, the neutrals all, all over Europe and all over the world. Um, but after that, um, Dortmund had to kind of get the ducks in a row to get in a position where they were sure they would qualify for the Champions League because 
that wasn't a given. It was it was fairly close over, over their shoulders. So they, they had to motor a little bit. And um, when they got Leipzig on the, what the penultimate weekend, I think, um, was something that basically saw them over the line. But there were two home defeats in that home stretch as well. The one against Mainz, who were battling to stay up at the time and successfully stayed up, um, where they lost 2-0 and could have lost about 4-0. And then on the final day of the season, when Hoffenheim had to win to get themselves into Europe, which is what they did, and they won 4-0 at um, Westfalen. So those last two home games compounded with the reverse to Bayern in the Classica, which, you know, fine margins. I think I could have got a point out of it on another day, but but they didn't. Those two really bad last home performances, uh, goalless, well-beaten, were something that obviously got a lot of tongues wagging and got a lot of people wondering, you know, were they going to go off in the right direction? Now, Dortmund clamped down on this pretty quickly and said, look, we've decided to go into next season with Lucien Favre, giving him um, all, all the backing, at least publicly. But it did have a bit of a Niko Kovac feeling to it. So if you go back to the start of last season, 2019-20, which I know seems a very, very long time ago now, not least because of not only what's happened in the world, but with where Bayern were at the start of that, because Niko Kovac was in charge of Bayern mm. until November last year. You know, we're only coming up now to the first anniversary of Niko Kovac being fired and Hansi Flick getting the job, which seems absolutely remarkable. But I think Dortmund have gone in to this season in a similar situation to the one which Bayern went into last season. So you have a coach who doesn't have unanimous backing, but there's a feeling from the club, what better is there out there? Are we just wasting money by getting rid of him for the sake of it, just to try and shake things up, just to get a bit of new manager bounce. You know, they want a plan. And of course, there's there's been people who've mentioned Pochettino before. It feels to me that he's really out of Dortmund's price range, uh, which is which is an issue, um, which is a shame because I, I think the two could work pretty well together. But there's a feeling that, that Favre's done a, a good but not great job. So it has to be worth sacking him and not just from a financial standpoint, but from a stability standpoint, because we've seen before when Bayern of, sorry, Dortmund have been through coaches, um, you know, they're in that position where they brought in Peter Stürger to kind of stabilize things and eventually got themselves in the Champions League, but it was, it was never going to be long-term and that was quite a fraught, scrappy season. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was post Klopp. That was post Tuchel. So I think that they've they've got to be careful what they wish for, and they're very very conscious of of that. But if you're asking, are there doubts? Why are there doubts over Lucien Favre? Um, of course, finishing second to Bayern is, is is not a crime. That that's that's something that's totally understandable, especially with the fact that they've got double the budget. They've got fantastic players under Hansi Flick. They they look better than ever, um, and they've got a young team that I think is going to get better and better over years to come. Um, you know, disasters in a sporting sense notwithstanding. But um, if you're Dortmund, you've not only got a lot of good young players, and of of course, 
the fact that they've got this exceptional young talent is their their face to the world. You know, they're thought of as this team that launches the best teenagers in the world. They've also, as we've said in the past on here and on, on the Ramble and on, on OTC, they've invested a lot in some um, experienced cornerstones because it's not just that, that you buy Matt Swimmels or Emre Can. They cost a fortune in wages and mm. you don't buy those guys to, to finish second. Now, th- this thought has come up a little bit. We're recording just the day after the first round of Champions League fixtures. And Dortmund, of course, lost their first game in the Champions League this season away to Lazio. Okay, Lazio, good team. Serious title contender last season in Serie A. Um, Player for player, Dortmund should be beating them. And that Dortmund have gone there and given another tepid, half-hearted, really submissive away performance. And this is a thing, I think, if you look at a lot of big away games, especially big European away games involving Dortmund, under Lucien Favre, you, you look at um, them um, losing at Inter last season. Uh, you, you look at them uh, losing uh, to Paris Saint-Germain, of course, uh, in, in the game where they got knocked out of the Champions League in the last 16. Games where they're a little timid and don't really show up. And that shouldn't happen mm. with those players, as was said in the original question. So there's there's a question over whether what Favre does can take you to a certain point, but no further. And I think there's an argument for that. And also, you think of his tactics are generally quite, they're, they're not just reactive. They're quite juxtaposed to what the prevailing wind of, of football is at the moment. Because, you know, there's this idea that you should at least intermittently press. But Dortmund don't really do that under Favre. You know, there's not that level of intensity that you would expect of, to be honest, players of those characteristics, there's a lot of players in that team who you could get to press, but he's never really been into that. And you do wonder if sometimes the natural quality of the team is fettered by his philosophy of football. And there's definitely a strong argument for that. You think he might be getting in the way, Andy, of Dortmund's goodness? Yeah, I I think so. But like Mm. I said, they need to be convinced that there's someone out there who can help develop a philosophy, who can create something to take them onto the next level. Because if they're ever going to get past Bayern, clearly they haven't got the finances to do it. Mm -hmm. And especially with Bayern being in a position where they are now, where they've got a very good squad and they've got a squad that looks as if it's going to get better and better, they're going to have to work much smarter if they're going to give themselves a window to genuinely challenge them in the Bundesliga. Interesting, Andy. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, Dortmund probably won't be involved if a European Super League is created. You think? You would think. Mm, I think that they might... Well... I think that they're exactly the sort of club who'd say, we're against that sort of thing. Yes. And then when it happens, go... Yeah, well, all, all right. I suppose we can't really get left behind, can we? Yeah. It's, so it's, I, it's one of, the, uh, Marcus, it's one of the major criticisms of them from match going fans, I think. The fact really? that some, some match, quite a lot of Dortmund match, match going Dortmund fans look at it as if we're becoming a mini Bayern, which uh-huh. is not what they want. No. Because, of course, there's, there's this juxtaposition with Dortmund between this club that's seen as organic and earthy and what proper football is meant to be like. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, because they're trying to bridge that gap, 
it's quite difficult to, especially with the fact that them and Bayern are, are so keen on building on that global appeal that they have. And you know, something that Dortmund have done really ever since the Champions League final in London in 2013, mm-hmm. they've, they've got to be careful that they don't become what they've always professed not to be, well, which is, is, is quite difficult to do in a global football football environment. I think if you look at a Barcelona, for example, they've become what they always took the piss out of Real Madrid for being. Bangs it away past Manuel Neuer, and that gives Dortmund something to cheer about. This ball there going into the net. So that this was is... hit with some weight and some venom. There's purpose Let's move on to that chat because Mason yeah. asks, if the European Super League did exist, who would win it? Perhaps a more interesting question is from Tarquin, who says, if the European Super League did exist, who would finish bottom? Uh, I think the reason for that is, um, uh, Mason, it's a fair question, but immediately a few people just put, well, it would be Bayern, wouldn't it? They'd probably be the best place at the moment. Um, and, I mean, obviously it depends who would who would be entered into the... Uh, European Super League, but this is this is the point of that UEFA made about it becoming boring. In a sense, it, of course, it matters if you finish top or bottom because there's a difference between winning and not doing very well at all. But if you do finish bottom, there's no relegation. You're going to be in it next time, and oh well, there we are. Bad season, lads. We'll dust ourselves down and, and we'll go again without too much um, jeopardy involved. Well, I think we should have winners to to start with. And then relegation candidates, or well, not relegation candidates, because no, of course no it would be a closed that, league. That's what be I mean, closed yeah. League. That, that, so yeah. we, we can have, should we, should we have, Marcus, winners to start off with mm. and then bottom three for pudding? Because that's the best bit, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what, what I would like to start this conversation uh-huh. with something that Vish threw in our WhatsApp group yesterday. Oh, Vish. Where it's got um, a little map of over Europe of, of what they they might look like of, of what the, the super leaguers might look like. And um, Vish threw this in our group with uh, Andy, have you snuck Leon on here? Uh, yeah. Because it's got Manchester city, Liverpool, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, Spurs. Paris Saint-Germain, Lyon, um, Dortmund. You didn't, put, you didn't put Spurs there. Andy. Bayern. No, no, not, not me. This is what's on the little graphic of okay. the 16 founding members of the Super League. So, yeah, to pick up uh, Dortmund, Bayern, Juventus, Milan, Inter, Roma, um, Atletico, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. Roma have done well to get in there. Roma have done well to get in there. Leon have done well to get in Very there. Very well. Mm. Um, but, I, I mean, that's that's the big question, isn't it? Because I think... If you were to build a European Super League now, mm-hmm. there would be very much a balance in favour of the English clubs. Because, yeah. of course, the real driver behind this philosophy is from it's going to be from Italy and Germany and maybe to a lesser extent France because... Not Spain? No, because we've heard Javier Tebas who's yeah, true. done a lot to the president of La Liga, who's done a lot to build the global brand. So this is, this is nonsense. What did he say? This is, this is such a ridiculous proposal. No one has even put their name to it. They've yeah, just leaked that, it out. What, what, what did he say? It was, it was, it was good bar talk at five in the morning. It was, he said, um, the people who created this, even if they do actually exist because no one's defending <laughs> it or something. But, 
But but Barcelona and Real Madrid might be interested. Possibly. And I think especially to allege a lot of financial losses that, that they've they've mm-hmm. had to cope with over the last little while. Um, not just because of COVID in um, Real Madrid's case because they're rebuilding the stadium. Mm-hmm. And in Barcelona's case... That signing because- of Coutinho. <laughs> just just the tip of the iceberg there marcus <laughs> but that, that that format is 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 an interesting one I, and as as i said the the, the driver is really going to come from italy from germany where you have big clubs like bayern and juventus and they're, they're always involved in this sort of chat because um their tv deals are not the biggest in europe um, they feel a little bit fettered by the domestic format. And in the case of Bayern, have done for intermittently for over two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, what you've got to do, if you're going to create something like this and, and get it to work, and no, I'm not giving tips, I don't want it to happen, <laughs> is you've got to create a way to make it attractive to the English clubs because you can't have it with the, without the English clubs. I mean, you know, it's, if it's going to be a European Super League, you can't have it without the top yeah. Premier League teams, it's not going to happen. But because the TV deal in England is worth so much more than everywhere else, and therefore English clubs and the Premier League clubs are so much more financially successful than everyone else. And you can tell this by, if you look at the Deloitte Money Leagues over the last couple of years, yeah. if you look at the seasons, for example, where Chelsea have missed out on the Champions League, it doesn't really make an enormous dent in, mm-hmm. dent in their finances percentage-wise because yeah. they've been able to offset it with player trading. And you, you look at the way that Chelsea and Manchester City, in particular, uh, uh, in particular, have used their academies as, as as talent farms, really. And obviously, the fact that City have got different clubs under the City Football Group umbrella all over the world sort of shows that they they want to continue that and they want to continue to to use that as something that makes money as, as part of the football operation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're going to have to be offered something absolutely stratospheric to make it worth their while, I think. Yeah. And, of course, you might need to include more of those clubs than you otherwise would in a balanced side, so in, in a balanced league. So, you know, this this little graphic that um, uh, Vicious sent in that, that we're looking at is of 16 founding members and it's got five English members. Now, that's that's already like a third near as damn it. But it's, it's not inconceivable that, say, if it's 16 or 18, that you have six, seven, eight Premier League teams, mm. isn't it? So yeah. I, 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 think, I think the balance of it is... Eight is might be very, generous. <laughs> yeah, eight might be reasonable. It's, it's oh. very interesting to see how it would balance out. And you do feel to an extent that to prevent a monopoly of one particular country that's why i say a roma are thrown in there now leon are different because uh jean-michel olas the president who we've talked about quite a lot on otc in the years that we've been doing it because he's a gobshite <laughs> is he's someone who's been involved in the european club association for a very long time and he was in, involved in the G14, which was the predecessor to that. Um, and he's someone who is very good at maximizing the commercial potential of the club. And part of that has, has, has been behind the, the move to the new stadium, of course. That was um, in January 2016 and and done in um, in tandem with, with, with Euro 2016. 
So for Leon to be in there, they may not be the most obvious name, mm-hmm. but it's actually quite logical. If you're talking about the teams that are going to you know, make up the numbers, if, if you like, they're a more obvious one. Now, coming back to Roma, Roma are interesting because, of course, they've just been taken over by the Friedkin Group. So they've moved from one US owner to another US owner. Now, part of the reason why the Friedkin Group paid such a, a high price to Jim Palotta is because Roma for a while have been trying to get on track this new stadium. And it won't just be a stadium. It will be a whole sporting hub, really, for for Rome. And if you're building something that's it's going to be one of the, the, the biggest sport complexes in, in, in Europe, you know, it's going to be a, a whole experience i suppose they they would call it from a a, a commercial angle we just hope it will be a nice football ground and in the words of johan cruyff a little bit more close to the pitch but um for for me that's why roma would be in there for example but i mean it is it's tricky isn't it And, and and straight away you know we've come across what the five major european leagues there and you think of if if you've got a traditional bone in your body, you're thinking, well, what about what about Portugal's biggest clubs? You're thinking, what about the Netherlands' biggest clubs, who do, of course, contain a team who were a cigarette paper away from getting in the Champions League final the season before last? Yeah. Well, Andy, who do you think then would would um, go down in uh, who, who who would get relegated in in well, this in I'm well, not relegated. Sorry, who would who would be finished bottom? Who are the teams that you think would be trampled on? Because straight away, Leon, Leon leaped to mind to me, Andy. So don't uh, don't have we're a cow. Re- we're assuming. <laughs> we're assuming. before we get there, we're assuming Bayern as the as, as, as the winners, aren't aren't we? And mm. you know what? I think you look at Liverpool are uh, generally quite quite relentless in in terms of results. Can win without playing well. Real Madrid can win without playing well, although. Not in the Champions League at the time of recording, it has to be said. Yeah. Um, Atletico have to be in the mix as well. I mean, th- that to me would be hugely amusing if you created a European Super League and Atletico Madrid went and won it. <laughs> I think that would be <laughs> absolutely hysterical. It's the dream of footballtainment. It's what we wanted. Yeah. Simeone getting 11 guys behind the ball <laughs> and Diego Costa towing one in for the cheering fans all around the world to win the final. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that would be quite magnificent. But yeah, yeah I think on... Um, on paper, as things stand at the moment, you would have to say probably Leon, Roma, and Arsenal would be your bottom three. And of course, this is why it's such a, a terrible idea. If you're a fan of one of those teams, which you are, like, if you're <laughs> if you're a fan of one of those teams, Marcus, mm-hmm. who would want to sign up for your team finish finishing getting beaten like every bottom week. three every season well, take take it from me right as of somebody who, who supports Fulham I honestly I know this sounds a bit ridiculous um because but you you want the best for your club do you know what I mean yes. so if Fulham are in the championship you want to get promoted to the Premier League okay that is that's obvious uh, no point do, do they you know when they they're in the playoffs or something do I go oh you know I, I hope they lose so we can stay in the championship however 
if Fulham go down this season, there's a there's a chance, of course, that could happen, like they did the other. Um, the, so the, fatalistic, the other. honestly. Well, no, there is a chance. They've started poorly. <laughs> if you look at the other sides in there, you know, they're, 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 but there's always a chance, isn't there, for a, for a promoted side to go down. They're up against it. I obviously want them to stay in the Premier League. That is the the, the my number one sort of hope and or my only hope, really, uh, for this season, realistically. Um, however, when Fulham did get uh, relegated, you know, two or three seasons ago, when they they were last in the in the Premier League, I remember thinking, "Oh, that is annoying. That's a shame." Da di da di da. But actually, do you know what? In the Championship, they can express themselves a bit more. They can play a bit a better football. They were fortunate; they kept hold of um, players and and whatnot. And lo and behold, you know, you're back to winning most weeks, playing some good football, and you think that is the payoff for being in the Championship. And actually, the Championship's a great league. And if I'm honest with you, you sort of think to yourself, yeah, this is good. Like, I don't mind it. And if Fulham don't get promoted, which is what I want, that's a shame. But you know what? It's still all right. It's, it, you're still in the Championship. And I think that, that as you say, we say take Arsenal uh, or Leon fans. Yeah, there would be a chance at the moment that they would um, do poorly. Of course, their hope would be that once they establish themselves, if indeed the European Super League did happen and, and and they would get in there, they would establish themselves, they could then attract players, then they could challenge, blah, 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 blah. But losing every week or, or, or at least being up against it, you know, it would take them a while to get out of that. And I, I just, I, as you say, Andy, I'm not sure that actually for, for some of these fans... The, the, this idea of playing in the Super League, it would become a, much more of a curse than a blessing. And, and with no relegation, Marcus, you don't get the Fulham in the Championship yeah. season, of course. do you? Yeah, you do get back down to the Premier League, if, if not that it would be back down, but you wouldn't kind of go, oh, you're back in the Prem, lads, see you later, which would be a very strange way for, the, you know, I, I can't imagine that ever happening. The Premier League going, yeah, we'll take your cast-offs. Um, you know, you're right. You, you get back into the Premier League and you think, oh, okay, this is still a good league. We, we know how to win. We'll regroup and then and then try again. No, you're stuck in in uh, 16th or 18th place forever. But it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, when you think of it, say on a personal level, thinking of how it would uh, affect Lyon, for example, um, you think of the, the matches you look for first in every season. Of course, you keep an eye on when, um, the games with Marseille are or Paris Saint-Germain first game you look for Saint-Étienne always yeah exactly it's yeah. always and and like th- this is this is why it's a terrible idea because the petty squabbles that mm. make our make football what it is uh, uh, you know they're, they're, they're kind of lost here yeah you know it's, it's just a series of like nouveau classicos yeah. I don't think so I mean not for me <laughs> um, for, for what for what it's worth Leon would actually do pretty well in this league because as you've seen in the last eight of the Champions League, they're much better when they get loads of players behind the ball. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe a bit of a surprise winner in the first season or runners up to Atletico even. Yeah, quite possibly. But do you remember when we had about five Classicos in the space of two months? Um, oh, it was draining. Ago. It was. And I know they're the same two teams, you went the same two sides, but the, the point still stands is the Classico... Everyone in world football looks forward to that fixture. You know, it's it's a phenomenal game, phenomenal occasion, and often the game is actually quite good. Um, but when you have too much, it's like you know you mentioned earlier, pudding being the best bit. That's what you know. If you think of Christmas cake, I bloody love Christmas cake. I think it's one of the finest things we've come up with as a human species. And you think of the marzipan and the icing on there, absolutely glorious. 
if you stuff yourself full of the marzipan and the icing, you realize that actually the other bit of the cake, which is still very good, but perhaps not the bit that you're really looking forward to. Actually, yeah. that is crucial. It's crucial, Andy. Yeah, if, and, if, you, uh, had, if you had no turkey and two tiramisu's, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just sod off. <laughs> yeah, with your, with your crappy Super League and so on. So yeah, we, no, we're uh, we're not for that. Also, also the the, the other thing is uh, that, that I hasn't really been brought up so often, at least thus far. I don't think. Um, there's a book, The Duelists, which is about um, that spell of classicos that you were talking about. Mm. Um, written by an Italian journalist whose name escapes me. I'll stick it on the Discord. Um, it's a really good book, actually, mm-hmm. about the dynamic between Guardiola and Mourinho. And do you know what? It's it's t- too much. Uh, the, the whole book is about the fact that it's, it's too much. It's draining for the players. It's draining for the coaches. And two coaches who are two of the greatest coaches in the modern era of football, mm-hmm. two coaches with huge personalities who never back down. And at the end of it, they're like, no more, thanks. And I think it's quite interesting when you transpose that rivalry onto the Premier League, once you've got Guardiola at Manchester City and Mourinho first at Manchester United, they never showed any appetite to yeah. get that rivalry back on the same level because it's almost as if there was this unspoken acquiesce that no that was just too much man we're not going back there again and obviously everyone talked about the fact that Guardiola was really burnt out by the end of it Mourinho was as well and that's Mm. something that's not really acknowledged that often yeah I completely agree Andy do you know what I think we're going to leave it there for this week because I'm burnt out from you no I'm not really Um, (laughs) (laughs) we'll be back for more next week whether you want it or not I feel revitalised, I feel energised whenever I spend time in your company, Andy, and I have no doubt the good listeners feel exactly the same. So there we are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for getting your questions in uh, for uh, the mailbag. Do get them in at any time of the day. You fancy asking Andy a question, you just pop it on that thread on the Discord and we will pick it up and fire it over to Andy Brassel, who will clobber it into uh, next week. And, uh, and satisfy you no doubt with what he's got to say on your query so there we are, thank you very much Andy it's been a pleasure as always an absolute pleasure until next time everybody, lots of love this was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network 